Coming up on tonight's Up For Debate, we've got the grand finale of March Madness. A couple of dummies right here read a couple of Four Dummies books, and we'd like to talk to you about them. Uh, it's a, tonight's episode of Up For Debate, and it's coming to you right now. You're a shooting star in all the years. No one knows just how hard you worked. But now it shows. In one shining moment, it's all on the line. In one shining moment, they're frozen. This is Up For Debate, the podcast where the two hosts generally agree on genuinely everything. Uh, I'm Matt. This is Sean. How are we doing today, Sean? Uh, Matt, I am just, my sacks are full of pollen and I am uh, ready to serve my queen. How about you? Um, I am at peace, centered, and ready to uh, change my environment, change my life. Hey, there you go. That sounded almost cultish, but I liked it. Uh, Matt, before we get to tonight's episode, though, I'm going to hijack us right away because I have got to hear the story of Matt texted me earlier today. He messaged me earlier today and he said, Sean, we might have a problem for tonight's show. And I quote, I broke my laptop in half. That's true. Now, I have pictures to prove it. This is not an old laptop. Um, no, it's really not. I. Bought this laptop two two years ago. It'll be two years in June. Uh-huh. And, um, and I got to know, how did you break it in half? All right. So w- I'm going to tell you the story in reverse order. Okay. Just because it's much more fun to hear it that way. Okay. So last night, I laid my laptop on my bed, and it's a um, – it's, it's a – it's got like two hinges – that connect the the monitor and the the base of the computer essentially they're not they're not separate devices but the idea is that they'll fold so it kind of turns into like a touchpad basically it's a convertible it's a three-in-one sort of flips all that's the way right. around yeah so mm-hmm. so it, it it has that one is it the 180 flip or the yeah yeah basically so um it 180 like like as soon as i put it down on the bed i think it that one of the hinges caught like an awkward angle and just 180 like all the way and then out of nowhere just a, a bunch of a bunch of screws and things like that started popping out of it and then yeah it came, one of the hinges it just came off one of the hinges completely um and after much surgery and much repair some duct tape and some some hope a whole lot of hope i finally got it all like connected and, and together now that's the first part of the story the the i guess the that's the most recent part of the story, but the first part of the story goes all the way back to oh, must have been around October, this past October, November. Um, I had it on the floor next to my bed, which just a PSA: you should just never put don't Bad put plan. laptops on the floor. Bad idea. You probably see where this is going. I, I woke up for work one morning, uh, st- kind of stumbled out of bed, crack. Just stepped right on the laptop, uh, put a big crack right down the middle of the screen. But other than that, everything was fine. Well, I think in I'm just going to say in that initial accident, probably loosened some screws Uh, and some things. You you compromised the structural integrity. If anything, yes. And if anything, really, it was amazing that it lasted this long after that um, initial the the initial action there. Um, But I ordered a new laptop 
it should be here with all the corona going on in about two to two and a half weeks. Well, so. Matt, I'll say two things. One, uh, I did the exact same thing with an old laptop of mine, stepping on it when it was on the floor and cracking the screen in half. So you're not the only one to do that. Um, and secondly, you know, I tell people all the time, my friend Matt is a unique guy and things happen to him that don't happen to <laughs> anyone else. And they don't believe me. And so let this be a prime example of only Matt could open up his laptop and the hinge explode and dump a bunch of screws everywhere and fall apart. It was it was real strange. It would have been really weird if I if I hadn't if I if I hadn't stepped on it at all and and then just it just opened up and the screws started popping out of it, it would have been real weird. But I guess that's a, um, a, a an easy an easy explanation. If, if anything, I'm really surprised that it lasted months instead of just days before that happened. So. Wow. Well, anyway, I didn't want to distract us, but I did want to hear the story behind that, and I thought it would be amusing for the folks at home. That's it. Yeah. Um, Matt, what are we doing here? It's your. It's the final week of March Madness. Can you believe Gosh. it? What a month! I, I. It has been quite a month. Um. For for many different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. This was a, I think this I think, was a maddening month. Let's really be honest, was. Matt. I think this March will forever. March twenty twenty will be forever remembered as March Madness. I think we established yes. that there was nothing bigger than March Nothing Madness. Nothing else going on. That was that was the main thing. I hope Sean Temper um, goes as well as March Madness. Oh, you can't hear me? I are you I can't hear you either. Oh, are, are you, you just are you saying things? Are you oh, saying there you words go. Now right I hear now? You. I can't hear you. I at hear all. I hear you now. My, maybe my ear, the thing is, I don't, I don't edit this show, and so it's going to be really funny oh, when this is all left in. Okay. I think, I think my earbuds just died on me. I think that's what was going on. I, are... I, I thought, I thought at first, I thought you were pranking me and just going. That's what I thought you were doing because like, I didn't like, hear you, know, you just for mouthing a words like yeah. that. Yeah, just like that. Yeah, Matt. I think we you should just go full Amish and just give up on technology. It's it's not your strong suit. Yeah. This at this point, this is that would probably be for the best. Um, I think that that's, that is probably the way I'm going to go. I'm going to go, go get a, uh, a horse and buggy. I'm going to ride it to the, uh, to the store. Yeehaw. And we'll just do things the old fashioned way. Here we go. All right. Say something, Sean. Say something, Sean. Say actually, words. I, actually, I should have said something, Sean, would have been the clever oh, way to God. do it. He still can't hear me. So while he's figuring that out, uh, folks, if you uh, joined us on the show two weeks ago, we did our Four Dummies episode. Uh, I was recapping for the folks at home uh, this evening's episode. Um, and we had our uh, Four Dummies episode, which was a lot of fun, Matt. We each picked five Four Dummies books, talked about them, went through the Amazon reviews. It was a rocking good time. If you haven't heard that, go listen to that. It's back on the feed, episode 174. Uh, but we each picked for uh, each other, Matt, a book that we wanted each other to read and learn about. And tonight we're here to share what we learned. That's right. Um, we, we, uh, Sean's got his beekeeping for dummies. I do. And, uh, Thick book. With, with I, I made the, I made the mistake in hindsight of using technology. Uh, so this is going to be the third, the third strike. As actually, they I will say though, this is the one time I'm actually going to say you're, we're smart because now I have a friggin' beekeeping for dummies book that I got to do something with after this. Um, put it in your beekeeping room. But what's great. Did yours come with like uh, glossy color photos? 
Um, it came with color photo. It was just, I mean, they're, they're a whole bunch of diagrams. Oh, diet. see, mine has like black and white diagrams, but they also had this like insert of glossy colored photos and like real big close up pictures of bees. Oh, wow. It's very unpleasant. I've actually never seen that in a four dummies book. Yeah. It's just like a couple extra pages in the middle showing That's you, pretty... you know, what a bee looks like. If you've ever seen a bee. <laughs> if you need to see one up close, there you go. No, mostly it's diagram. A lot of diagrams. Oh, that's a, like... fur, that's a fur dummy staple. You, you yeah, gotta have the say... diagram. Oh, by the way, and this is going to yeah. be hard to tell over the podcast feed, but there's actually a diagram in here that's like a very low resolution, blurry diagram. I don't think you can really tell over the picture, but mm. it looks like shit in here, and I don't know why they included it. But anyway, that's beside the point. Matt, I did my title. I did beekeeping for dummies. What book did you do? So I did feng shui for dummies. That was my uh, my my for dummies assignment, my book assignment. Um. And we, we both established earlier uh, before the show started that uh, we, we just so happened. I mean, all of this was going on, we would say, like on the eve of the, the outbreak. Sure. And, and we decided that these were, were two uh, appropriate hobbies. They're very quarantine, quarantine friendly. Uh, one involves tending to bees. One involves redecorating, like interior decorating. Both of them good things for single people to do when mm-hmm. they're quarantined uh, individually. So um, we, we our other options, we could have picked uh, geocaching or doing business in India. Neither of those are quarant- quarantine-friendly activities. ham radio, very quarantine-friendly. Yes. Ham, ham radio, it is and it isn't. I think it. my argument against it would be that you have to get the equipment delivered to you. A lot of and equipment, but that's true of beekeeping of too. That is true, but it, it was there. Like, could you make any of that yourself? Did they? Did they no. give you? Like, well, it's one of those things. It's one of those things where it's like, it's one of those hobbies where you can you have the option to spend a lot of money doing it and get all the little bell whistle accessories. But then basically he writes like, yeah, you could do it manually, but you really should just buy the. $50, $100 thing that does it automatically. So, um, okay. so no, you can definitely order a lot of stuff for beekeeping. Yeah, that would, that would just be my only concern with those. I guess with feng shui, it, it's, it's about, it's about reordering your environment to better suit your life. So you really don't need anything for feng shui. It's just it's about, all in the mind. It's just about reorganizing. It's about the chi, Sean. It's about getting the chi to flow. Ah. It's about re- reorganizing things in a way that that opens up your opens up the chi of your house. Now, isn't that what grows out of a chia pet? Yes, I believe that is also called chi. Different spelling. No, I, no, it's chia. But uh, you know, I kid. Uh, no, Matt. So how do you how do you want it? This is your episode, so you tell me how how do we want to get into these topics? I mean, I don't know. I guess. I I feel I feel as the host, I should be a good host and and say you know. You go first. You tell okay. me about your hobby a little bit, and then I'll talk a little bit about my uh, my new feng shui hobby. Yeah, so um, that's fine. And jump in and ask questions, and I'll spend a little time on mine, and we'll switch back and forth. Beekeeping for Dummies. Uh, I knew nothing about beekeeping before I read this book. This is written by Howland Blackiston, the former president of the Backyard Beekeepers Association. Um, Matt, it, it, this book reminded me. I'm going to slightly tangent, but here we go. Do you remember the South Park episode where uh, Cartman starts a Christian rock band? Yeah. 
Great oh, yeah. episode. Classic, Very fun. Classic episode, yeah. And there's a moment in that episode that reminded me of this book where, uh, if you don't remember the episode, a Carmen takes a bunch of popular romance songs and just inserts Jesus into them. And they're very they're very romantic and borderline <laughs> sexual about Jesus. And so he goes into the uh, Christian rock record group, record executives, and he sits there and, and they go, oh, we, we you know, your songs are great. It sounds like you love Jesus. And Cartman goes, yes, I, I do love Jesus. And they go, no, but it sounds like you really love Jesus. And, and Cartman goes, I do love Jesus. And they go, no, it sounds like you're in love with Jesus. And he looks at them and they go, aren't you? And they go, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, we love Jesus. You know, that's how he gets away with it. Um, this guy loves bees. I mean, like, he's in love with bees. That's what I thought of. He writes them in, I'm going to see if I can pull some, you know, you know me, I like to read examples from books here in the, on the show. But he talked, first of all, he, he calls them all she, which I get it's a queen. Um, well, yeah, that's, um, I think that's, which is fine. I'm wrong here, because you're, you're the new bee expert, but there, there's, you have the, the, workers and the drones right and the drones are the males the workers are all female yes and the queen that, is that right yes. yeah and, and they, they all have the potential to become the queen that's so not you true just want one queen for your hive uh well, the workers have the potential to become a queen right not the drones right the drones. and you actually have to be careful you don't grow more queens when you don't need them right because that would that causes, that causes swarming Swarming, exactly. Uh, no, yeah. the, here's the first paragraph, chapter one. I've been keeping bees in my backyard since 1983, and I have a confession to make. I really love my bees. That may sound weird to you if you aren't a beekeeper, but virtually all individuals who keep bees will tell you the same thing and speak with affection about their girls. They impatiently await their next opportunity to visit their hives. They experience true emotional loss when their bees don't make it through a bad winter. Beekeepers, without a doubt, develop a special bond with their bees. And it goes on to this, like, throughout the whole the whole goddamn book, how much this guy is in love with his bees. Well, I gotta be honest, Sean. Isn't that the kind of guy you want to write a bee book? I mean, he certainly seemed very knowledgeable. Like, I mean, don't you want him, Don't you want somebody who is passionate and knowledgeable? If you have it just knowledgeable, it'll read like a it'll read like a science textbook. I, but I, like but I was worried. You want I mean, you want it's the, like hash, the passion behind it. This is like a hashtag Me Too situation. I'm like, how aggressive is this guy with his damn bees? Well, that that I would I maybe would call into question. Maybe, very, maybe maybe somebody needs to watch him. There was a great. Bees, um, let me see if I can. F find that exact when he talks about the bees um you know obviously the like oh you know are bees dangerous you know do bees sting um yeah the that actually that was one of the top questions that i wanted to to ask you about because um i don't know if you know this sean i have never i'm one of the few people i know of i've never been stung by a bee i you're I not missing over, much if i'm being honest I rolled over a bee's stinger one time when I was younger and it got like kind of like I guess you could say like stung my ear. My ear swelled up real bad. Yep. Which is why I think I'm probably allergic, but I've never been actually like stung by one. So my question is when you're be if you like if if I wanted to become a beekeeper, was that something that I should be concerned about? Getting stung by my bees? Absolutely not. Let me uh let, let me read you an extract here from uh, the book itself. 
Uh, perhaps the best known part of the bee's anatomy is its stinger. Quite honestly, that was my biggest apprehension about taking up beekeeping. I don't think I'd ever been stung by a honeybee, but I'd certainly felt the wrath of yellow jackets and wasps, which a lot of people confuse for um, a more traditional honeybee. Um... Yeah, the, the advice turned out to be 100% correct. Honeybees are docile and gentle creatures. To my surprise and delight, I made it through my entire first season without receiving a single sting. In the decades that I've been keeping bees, not a single member of my family, not a single visitor to my home, and not a single neighbor has ever been stung by one of my honeybees. Okay. It says, do I ever get stung? Sure, but not usually more than three or four times in a year. In every case, the stings I take are a result of my own carelessness. I'm rushing, taking shortcuts, or inattentive to their mood. All things I shouldn't do. And there are even some tips here. Uh, always wear a veil and use your smoker, which we can talk about in a second, when visiting your hive. Inspect your bees during pleasant daytime weather. Uh, that's when more of the bees are out working and they're not in the hive. Uh, do not open the hive up at night during bad weather or if a thunderstorm is brewing. Um, don't rush, get a good grip on the frames, don't drop the frames, don't swat at the bees, never leave sugar syrup or honey in open containers near the hive. For example, when you extract the honey, you've got to do it indoors. If you do it near the hive, they go crazy. Um, wear light-colored clothing. Bees don't like dark colors. So just a few tips for you. Okay. That, that last one was interesting. I didn't know that. Bees don't like dark colors. <coughs> and they also... You have to wear, uh, you can't wear any animal-based fibers like wool um, or leather. Oh. It also drives the bees crazy. They, they probably think, they, they think it's an intruder, right? They think you, that you're you like You want to go with a cotton or something like that, something that's plant-based. Yes. Oh, very, very interesting. But what he basically says is really the only protective equipment you need is a veil. And even he recommends for most of the time not wearing gloves. Because gloves actually make your hands stiffer and less responsive. And bees bees will only sting when they're stressed out. And so when a beekeeper gets stung, it's usually they've somehow gotten under their clothes or in the veil. And if panicked and stung, if they just land on your hand, they're not going to sting you. So that's why you don't really need gloves. Really only late in the season when you're collecting the honey um, and the hives tend to be a little more aggressive right before the winter, um, you may want to wear gloves. But for the most part, you don't need it. It's really just the veil. And even when a bee gets under your veil, he even says, usually they don't sting. They're just curious. Um, And if you just slowly take off the veil and are careful, you probably won't get stung. Okay. So I guess that's what he meant when he said he's inattentive to their mood. Yeah, exactly. Like, and and the book goes into detail into some of the, uh, the signs of, of how a hive is doing, how they're entering and exiting the hive, how they act in the hive, different times of year, different weather situations. You've just got to be truthfully a good beekeeper during the spring. And during the spring, you're going to want to check your hive maybe every week in the early spring. But over the summer, you should only check your hive like once or twice a month. Over the summer, you don't go in there often. They just do their thing. And then you start checking it again in the fall, which is when you're harvesting the honey um, and when you're making sure they're good to go for the uh, for the winter. Huh. And um, how how much honey are we talking about here? Oh, man, that's a really great question. So uh, it absolutely varies. It varies by how big your hive is, what type of hive. They're all different kinds of hives you can have. Um, the most common being the Langstroth. Uh, which are kind of just the boxes you normally, this, just the rectangle-looking boxes you see. Um, the thing is, what you're actually harvesting is the excess honey. Because all hives, you can never extract 100% of the honey. There has to be honey in there. It's what the bees eat. 
Uh, and so you harvest it in the fall. You have to leave about 60 to 70 pounds of honey, leave it in the hive for them to consume over the winter. Anything above that is yours for the taking. Okay, so you're kind of skimming off the top. It's skimming off the top of the, the honey pot. That's exactly right. Yep, another one of my favorite fun facts I actually learned here in the book, Matt, um, that I will share with you is when it comes to the winter, um, you ever wonder what bees do in the winter? Uh, yeah, I actually do. I, I wonder, I wonder the same thing. Quite a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, so in a, in a tradition, I don't know what they do kind of in the wild, but in a hive, uh, a boxed hive, uh, they actually cluster. And there's a, there's a cool picture in here. I don't know if you'll be able to see it over the camera, but see that hive there, that kind of cross-sectioned hive? That dark spot is all the bees clustered together. Um, and, uh, what's interesting is, uh, the queen is surrounded by thousands of her workers kept warm in the midst of the winter cluster. Uh, the winter cluster starts in the chamber when the ambient temperatures reach 54 to 57 degrees. Um, although the temperature outside may be freezing, the center of the winter cluster remains between 90 and 93 degrees Fahrenheit. <sighs> the bees generate heat by shivering their wing muscles. No drones are in the hive during the winter, but some worker brood begin uh, appearing late in the winter. The bees consume about 50 to 60 pounds of honey in the hive during the winter months. Yeah, I, I know that the cluster gets pretty hot because one of the defense mechanisms of, of bees when when um, an intruder is in their hive, at least the honeybees, are the, is that they actually suffocate the intruder. Yep. They'll, they'll like pile onto the intruder until its internal like temperature rises to the point where it like either suffocates or, or cooks itself like then dies. Well, a, a common activity of a, of a worker bee, because uh, they have many different tasks within the hive, uh, but one of them is uh, they will line up along the uh, external edge of the hive and just sit there and bat their wings to create airflow in and out of the hive. And that's all they do is just sit there and beat their wings and, cre and create the making, making sure that uh, air is moving and it doesn't get too hot. So they're like the like the internal AC. Exactly. Exactly. Very cool. Is uh is Charlie planning on on resetting our podcast again this uh, week? I'm still mad about that. Still <laughs> mad about that. I should have punished him. I didn't. I was too nice. Um, yeah. So uh, another sort of interesting fact I think you'll like, Matt, is uh, how do you how do you uh, write honeybee? How do I write it? Yeah, there's a debate. Is honeybee one word or two? Oh, um. I mean, I I'm I think I'm used to seeing it as one word, but well, the, I, I could see maybe the argument for it being hyphenated, like honeybee. Well, the British the okay. British write it as one word, honeybee, but the uh, Entomological Society of America prefers to use two words, honeybee. Uh, the rationale: a honeybee is a true bee, like a housefly is a true fly, and thus should be two words. A dragonfly, on the other hand, is not a fly; it's only a fly by name, hence it is one word. Oh, so I think as, as long as you provide a, a solid rationale, it's fine by me. Yeah. I thought when you said, how would I spell it? I thought maybe there's like some kind of <laughs> secret spelling where it's, it's like, actually, it doesn't come from the honey they produce. It's a region. The honey well, H, spelled H-O-N-I. Like The thing is about there are many different kinds of, of even honeybees. They're, they're all different kinds, all the way up to the most extreme Africanized honeybees. But, um, but those yeah. are the. The, the scary ones, right? Well, yellow, ja uh, yellow jackets are um, 
your your traditional scary bee because they're the ones who actually more aggressively sting. But I thought they don't they say the Africanized honeybee is like a something to be afraid of. Yeah, or? they well they they'll they'll really come after you. Um, they're, they're, they're more they they don't just sting they chase you. Oh, I see. I mean I they're see. they're they're rough rough stuff. Um, does it talk about how the depending on what the bee I always found it fascinating the the things that the bees eat affects the taste of their honey. Absolutely. Yes, there is a section on that. I will see if I can pull it here. Um, I admit that I was still finishing this book just before we came online. Um, and I just thought I thought maybe like because I guess you can you can I mean, you see it in stores, right? There, There's usually there's a variety of different honeys you could buy, at, you know, clove, clove honey and um, like milkweed honey, maybe not milkweed. Yeah. So there's a whole like, section but, in here. Yeah. All about making your own honey. Um, first of all, there's all different kinds of honey. There's uh, the traditional extracted honey, which is kind of your simplest, but there's also comb honey, uh, chunk honey, whipped honey, um, and the list goes on and on. But um, it says here, the floral sources, soil, and climate ultimately determine how your honey will look, smell, and taste. Um Unless you put your hives on a farm with acres of specific flowering plants, your bees will collect a myriad uh, of nectars from different flowers, which results in delicious honey that's a blend. This type of honey is classified as wildflower honey. Um, Some beekeepers harvest honey from a single floral source, resulting in varietals. Um, And there's a whole list of honeys from around the world here um, that have all different sorts of tastes and and colors. Um, It absolutely has to do... um, with uh, where you're located. So you, you would encourage bees to like, I, I, I found that interesting, but I find out like, I guess it's interesting. Would you, would you, as the beekeeper would, how would you encourage your bees to eat different substances? I guess like put plant it and, and yeah, I don't, I put the hive next to their, your garden of, well, Fun fact, bees can travel as far as one mile from their hive. Um, and in fact, they actually normally don't go to flowers particularly close to their hive. Um, they tend to spread out. So uh, genuinely, I think you, it's why it's Africa bees taste different from European bees. It's because the climates are so different. I think if you were between towns or something, I think it would be, like I said, unless you lived on a sunflower farm or something and we're surrounded by a mile's worth of i think it would be very difficult to to have any control over that but that is cool because it it really it really is like essentially a taste of where you live because you don't know what the bees are bringing back and they're bringing back like a kind of a melange of things absolutely that's the fun of it it is it is very regional i guess very very like sectional so like a homemade you know you can make like homemade cookies, homemade brownies. Maybe there's well, like a slight it, difference in the ingredients you use, but the honey is like going to be truly different depending from keeper to keeper. Well, it's kind of like wine, right? I mean, a grape is a grape, but depending on where you grow, it makes a big difference in the wine. Yes, very true. Oh, that's a, now that would have been an interesting uh, wine, wine making. For dummies. Yeah. Oh, I just I just like one. wine for dummies, like how to drink wine. Okay. Maybe this is maybe this is just what the podcast is now. We just read a different for dummies book every week. Honestly, and... like if the four dummies people haven't done that yet, like themselves, they're really they're I looked really at missing it. They, out. They actually they they did they have, as far as I know, they don't have that. They, there is a four dummies podcast, 
that I, I started listening to is pretty good, but they, they just, it's just, they take like different concepts and, and ideas. And as far as I know, it's not like, here's a summary of our book. Like every, if I were them, I would just take a different book and, and just go. Um, we just interview the people who write them. Yeah. I think it would be yeah. very interesting. And interview the, the contributors and things like that. Um, Have you ever wondered yeah. how honey is extracted? Um, they, you, you take the comb, right? You got to comb it. Is that how it's called? Combing? Well, the comb is the actual structure of a honeycomb. That's that's the actual uh, high how get, structure. How do you get the honey out of there? Well, that's a great question, Matt. You squeeze so, it, right? You squeeze it kind of like a like a sponge, and it just the honey just kind of drips out. It's the even cooler than that because <laughs> you don't you don't want to damage the honeycombs. You just want to get the honey out of them. So uh, a traditional length straw frame will get you about four to six pounds of honey each. Um, and the way it works is you take the frame out of the box. You got to shake the bees off of them or scrape the bees off of them. You don't want any bees on there. Um, and like I said, you want to extract it indoors so the bees don't smell the loose honey and swarm you and try and kill you because um, they will do that. But the way it works is you use an electric uncapping knife. And it's a knife you plug in and it's nice and hot. And what you do is you actually uh, each honeycomb has a little wax covering uh, over it with the honey underneath it. So you got to get all those wax toppings off beeswax, right? Um, and so you use the hot electric knife to actually scrape all the toppings off of each one of the combs, which by the way, you're going to want to save that beeswax because it can later be made into candles or a number of other um, cosmetics and other type items. That's right. Um, you got to mine, mine that beeswax. Exactly. Um, then what you do is you put it in the extractor. So you actually go and you buy an extractor and it looks like a big drum. And you put the frame in it, and it's, and it's either uh, motorized or it has a hand crank, and it uses centripetal force. So what you do is you actually spin it, and the force actually drives the honey out of the combs. So you get it going in a circle, and, it, and all the honey gets pulled around to the outside. Um, then you have to uh, filter it, because you don't want any bits of wood or dead bees uh, in your honey. You want to make it nice and clean. Uh, and then, um, and then boom, then you're essentially, and then you bottle it. You're essentially good to go. There's not much more to it than that. Nice. That seems, that seems relatively simple. Yeah. The, the book made it sound pretty, that is one of the easy, if you can get bees and keep them alive long enough to make the honey, you're going to be okay. Now is, is there a lot of maintenance to keep them alive? Is that something that you have to constantly, is it, if I were a beekeeper, would I be doing that like daily or weekly? No, no. Like I said, you don't have to check the hive very often. The issue is there is a number of very small, difficult to see things you need to be aware of. And they actually recommend, you ever see like a, a jeweler, uh, like have those pullover magnifier glasses when they're looking at rings and stuff. They actually say to get a pair of those so you can really look into the hive because you're looking at everything from is where's my queen? Is my queen alive? Is she laying eggs? Are the eggs growing and hatching? Then you're looking for uh, invader pests, funguses, um, any sort of other issues. As I mentioned, additional queens. So at, at times your hive is going to try and grow more queens, usually because the queen you have is weak. The issue is, if they grow a queen, swarming will happen, where half of your hive will one day pack up and leave. And that's bad. It screws your honey harvest, and it's not good for your hive. So you have to keep an eye at that and sometimes actually remove those growing queens um, before they become large enough to hatch. Hmm. So there's just a lot. It's not that it's hard, 
but you just it, you it takes a lot of time to get good about spotting all the different things you need to know um, to keep your hive uh, healthy and and happy. You got to be on top of it, yeah. And and you have to watch, even have to wa- believe it or not, you even have to watch how the bees are flying in and out of the hive, because that will tell you a lot about their condition and also if any of the bees are um, raiding your hive based on their motion and how they come in and out of the hive. Bees can raid your hive? What do you mean by that? Oh, yeah. Uh, So of the many bad things that can happen to your hive, another hive of bees can actually try and invade your hive. Um, And they'll actually come in and they will fight your bees to the death. So that... Okay. I might just be playing devil's advocate here, but that... (laughs) That doesn't sound like that big of a deal. I mean, I know I know to your impassioned beekeeping author who loves his hive and he does probably love it. more than his own kids, but um like that that seems like it matters a great deal to him, but if if it if a new hive were to come in and eliminate your hive, you would still have the, probably the same number of bees, no? So it would just be different bees. Let me would those bees not trust you or not like you or I, I sort of gave you a a semi not great explanation so it's called robbing robbing is a situation in which a hive is attacked by invaders from other hives um this is bad for a number of reasons the hive defending itself will fight to the death if the hive is unable to defend itself the invading army can strip the colony of all its food and uh being robbed changes the disposition of a hive bees can become nasty aggressive and difficult to deal with Oh, so it's all about main, maintaining that attitude. The, exactly. The, like I mentioned before, uh, checking the, the the tone of your bees. Or how did he put it? He said the... The, the disposition. A, the disposition of your bees. Okay, so it puts them at a bad disposition when they're attacked. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the things you're going to want to look I, for. Uh, robbing bees approach the hive without being weighed down with nectar. They may not shoot straight into the entrance like your bees should. Instead, they fly from side to side, waiting for an opportune moment to sneak past the guard bees. Uh, if you look closely, you may see bees fighting at the entrance around the ground in front of the hive. They are embraced in mortal combat. Um, and unlike foraging bees that can leave the hive empty-handed, robbing bees leave the hive heavily laden with honey, which makes flying difficult. Robbing bees tend to climb up the front of the hive before taking off. That's how you can so spot them. What what do you do? What do you do when you identify a robbing bee? How do you eliminate oh, it? Oh, look at that. The next paragraph. Putting a stop to a robbing attack. Uh, reduce the size of the entrance to the width of a single bee. Use your entrance reducer, which is something you can buy for your hive, or clumps of grass stuffed along the entrance. Minimizing the entrance will make it far easier for your bees to defend the colony. Uh, but you do have to keep an eye on the temperature in there. The other is soak a bed sheet in water and cover the hive that's under attack. The sheet drapes to the ground and prevents robbing bees from getting into the entrance. The bees in the hive seem to be able to find their way in and out. During hot, dry weather, rewet the sheet as needed. Be sure to remove the sheet after one or two days. So cloaking the hive with a with a wet bed sheet, that's a, that's a neat trick. So your your bees will instinctively fly in. You know, they they kind of know their own the, way. They'll work there, but the other bees will be deterred enough. Are, yes, and they'll, and they'll, okay, so then they'll... Yeah, a big thing that causes robbing is leaving honey and sugar out in the first place because it attracts bees that aren't yours. Nice. Wow. Um, did they talk about marking the queen? I know from, from one of my yes. many YouTube, YouTube rabbit holes, uh, it, they talked about marking the queen and making sure you, it, your queens all stay marked so that you, 
yeah, keeps I mean, track of them. The very first thing you're going to do when you open up your hive is find your queen because your queen makes or breaks your hive. If you have a great queen, you're in luck. If you have a shitty queen, you're screwed. The good news is you can just order another queen if your queen is in is in bad shape. Oh, uh, there are entire businesses that are built around just selling good queens. Like well, they're well-bred, like well-maintained, at least they so they say. Uh, quality queens. Well, this book has a whole section on how to raise your own queens and sell them for a profit, um, which is absolutely a business you can do. Uh, yeah, no, um, the when you get, because they talk in here, how do you get bees? You can buy the queen, you gotta get the bees. You actually can go out and try and capture a wild hive and put it in your hive. And the guy's like, it's not that hard, but for a first timer, you shouldn't do that. However, you can buy bees. And what, what you get in the mail is you get a box full of bees. And in that box is like a little container where the queen, where your queen is, separated from all the other bees. So they can, like, you know, they're together, but at the same time, she's separated. Um, and the bees usually come pre-marked. So that way you your, your bee is, is indicated. Um, and then when you set up a new hive, uh, you first uh, introduce the queen... And the queen hangs out in the hive for a little bit, and then you introduce the rest of the bees. Yeah, I, I, there was, I, I remember learning about how it's important to gradually introduce the queen. Because if you do it all at once, the bees get scared or they don't know what to make of Especially it. Especially if you're introducing a brand new queen uh, to an established hive, for sure. It's a way, it's an easy way to get your queen like stung to death or 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 suffocated like real early and like i say like a gradual thing your hive will know if your queen is weak and they'll they'll they are not like loyal to your queen the second your queen starts failing on the job they're gonna go start making another queen um and that's what they're trained to do that's so interesting it's just interesting how they can control like here we're gonna put up like thousands of workers we're gonna lay like a bunch of worker eggs and then but we we the hive feels like it needs a new queen but here now it's time to lay a queen egg uh, bees are truly fascinating i mean the way they communicate with each other via pheromones via dancing via uh, you know, some of these other things the way they work as a community is uh is very interesting and this the the first part of the book talks a lot about the bee itself the bee life cycle what what how bees grow in the in the, the combs and all that sorts of stuff it's very fascinating nice now uh, yeah. My, my, my last question for you um, about beekeeping. Uh, when, I, when I first pitched the concept I, uh, of, of this Four Dummies exploration, I, I wanted to just find out, is, is this something that Sean Jennings sees himself doing at some point in his life? Do you think you could you – could, if you tried it, would you be a successful beekeeper? Would it be something you would want to pursue? Um it's a it's a really good question, and as I read through the book, I kept going back and forth. What I learned, uh, bees are cool, and don't be mean to bees, um, and bees are your friends. Beekeeping is, on a technical level, not that hard. It's also not insanely expensive. Like, if you wanted to get, like, a good size hive and outfit yourself with all of the accessories... You're probably going to top out at $1,000 maybe, which isn't bad for an all-in hobby that you're not replacing a lot of stuff in. I think that's a lot cheaper than I mean, ham radio. <laughs> just, just just the hive itself is going to be like three, 400 bucks, and then you add stuff on top of it. So it's not that expensive. No, that's, that's not an expensive hobby it, at all. It's, it's not super time-consuming, 
depending on like the honey harvest is consuming, setting it up in the spring is, but over the summer, it's not that time consuming. Um, but you do have to spend a lot of time learning because there are a lot of things that could happen. It's like raising any animal. You know, you have to know what could go. You have to know their temperament. You have to know what could go wrong. You have to pay a lot of attention. You really have to love the bees. Could I be a beekeeper? Yes, I believe I I believe you could be a beekeeper. I don't think it's like insanely challenging to do if you wanted to do it. Could I imagine myself doing it someday? Yeah, I think it's entirely plausible. Would I recommend like my dad loves hobbies. He just picks up hobbies. He's got a good sized yard. He's near some woods. Do I think he would enjoy? Yeah, he might actually enjoy beekeeping. I wouldn't do it today. It just it, it is just so complex. Um, I wish I had like a friend who was into beekeeping who I could hang out with a bunch and learn from them, like a mentor. But just learning it on your own, I think, I, I think, would be difficult. Sure. Yeah, you would. You would need like a some just a, some kind of a mentor. But like even a, if, guy. but like. What I would say is if you were like, hey, Sean, I know this beekeeper guy. You want to go visit him and learn about bees? Like I'd be, now, before, I don't know. Now I'd be like, yeah, totally. Let's do it. That sounds awesome. Like I, I have gotten a lot fonder of bees and the beekeeping culture. So I guess they're going to win. Yeah. Um, before I watched all of those random YouTube videos about beekeeping that were uh, recommended for me, uh, I, I thought beekeepers were, were crazy. I was like, they've got to be nuts. You're going to put on this suit and you're going to go and, uh, talk to the bees and somehow they're not going to sting you or hate you or like try to, you know, but you, you really do. It seems like you really do develop a relationship or rapport with oh, your sure. hive. And it, it is a, it's a mutual thing. Like you're taking care the hive is providing you with honey and all this good stuff, but you're, you're taking care of the hive. You're looking out for the hive. You're making sure that it's successful at the same time. So it, it's it's a beautiful it's a beautiful thing. It's kind of it's like take. it's like most insects. For the most part, they do their own thing, and they're not going to bother you. You know, we worry about oh, spiders are scary. Most spiders really aren't going to harm you in any way. Yet we still have a problem with it. So mm. anyway, we have talked long enough about bees because I know literally nothing about feng shui and my life. Starting today, or actually starting tomorrow, I'm working from home, and I'm going to be working from home for a while, and my home has no flow, has no design. It needs help, Matt, so you got to break down for me. What is feng shui? Sean, um, let's introduce a couple of of concepts here first, okay? Yes, please. First of all. Treat me like I'm an absolute idiot. Or would would we say a dummy? Treat treat me like I'm a true dummy. Um, According to the book that I read, which is the second edition of Feng Shui for Dummies. Has a lot changed between editions? Um, Not really. I I don't know. To be honest, I did not read the first edition. But this actually did inspire me to read a different book um, in addition to this one, which I'll get into a little later. Uh, Also based on the art of Feng Shui. Uh, The author is David Daniel Kennedy. And it says right here that he is a renowned expert on feng shui. Renowned. Oh. Also, um, he he learned under the tutelage of Grandmaster Professor His Holiness Lin Yun. The Lin Yun. The Lin Yun. Oh. And it says right here, His Holiness. Wow. Grandmaster Professor Lin Yun. It's a lot of titles. Damn. Lots to live up to. Damn. He wrote the the whole forward uh, where he talks about the fundamentals of feng shui. Now. Sean, 
have you ever gone into a room and just found like this just a bad aura or a bad sensation in the room bad vibes bad juju just you know no no other cause for it just that you're in the room and you just get this bad feeling or foreboding or or i hear i guess like that i guess sean that is because you the room may have an imbalance there actually there could be many things going on in the room but one of the potential causes is that there could be an imbalance in the room's chi or energy. Uh, are you familiar with the concept of chi? Uh, my favorite Chinese place is Chi's Chinese. Nope. Okay. That, that is, I have to admit, I don't think that's a great name for a Chinese restaurant. No, it's, Just putting it out there. Matt, it's owned by the Chi family. But it sounds too much like cheese, Sean. And but that's, that's their cuisine name. rarely involves cheese or dairy it's, products it's che- at all. It's, I knew the Chi family. They were very nice, very good people. Still I'm sure it. they were. I, I just – I think that maybe they could have called it Chi Garden. Yeah, or, okay. I'll or let... Chi – something else involving Chi. Cheese Chinese – Makes me think of just like cheese, and well, I'm no, not cheese, cheese it's, when I'm eating Chinese. It's food. cheese Chinese restaurant. Is the name okay? Anyway, we're off topic. Keep going. Chi <laughs> Qi totally I different. I like Chi Garden, but anyway, um, Sean, what we're talking about here with Chi, uh, we are we're talking about energy. Chi is the life force, or harmony and energy, that abides in all things. Uh, the name feng shui are uh, Chinese words, actually two Chinese words, mm-hmm. feng, which is wind, and shui, which is water. Okay. So the wind and the water are two elements in nature that – what do they do, Sean? What does wind do? What does water do? What do they have in common? They both start with the letter W. Besides that. Okay. Uh, they're both four letters. No, they're not. Water is actually five letters. I was waiting to see if you would catch that. I I don't know, Matt. What's the answer? So when you think of wind and water, um, these are two uh, things that ebb and flow. They constantly are in flux. They're constantly moving back and forth. They're adjustable, changeable. They're, they're the opposite of the of feng shui. The opposite of wind and water would be something like like land or earth. Very, sure. It's malleable, but it's difficult to malleable. Earth or metal are very like hard pressed things that that are you can't really change. So the principles of 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 air and water are two things that you can change. And in this case, we're talking about um, we're applying those two energy forces on our own lives, on our own surroundings, on our own uh, relationships. And in this case, usually when you talk about feng shui, you're talking about um, your immediate environment. A lot of people often mis- misconstrue feng shui as like this um, this like interior decorating uh, idea it can be that and it's it's actually the decorating part is a is a little bit of a misconception as i learned in the book it's not so much the decorating of things as it is the order of things mm. where things are gotcha. not how much or how little there is 
but where it is located in terms of the alignment of the room will produce uh, your 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 goal is to produce openness or or where the chi the energy can flow throughout your environment and and also flow through yourself, Sean. You want the energy to flow through you. I got to you. make you feel better. Yeah, you're open, you're opening it up basically. You want to open up your chi um, passages essentially. So uh, one quote I pulled from the book, it says. The energies of your residence and your workplace constantly contribute to your successes and your failures in life. So um, it's basically like you don't want you don't want to have an environment that is negatively impacting your uh, work, your relationships, uh, or your your sense of well being because mm-hmm. that puts you at a disadvantage. Um, and and it's it's uh, it's something to be mindful of. I guess. Um, are you with me so far on this, uh, yeah. this Feng Shui journey? Yeah, we're, it's, we're gonna, it's. We're gonna dive pretty deep. Oh, f- uh, no! <laughs> all right, no, no, I got you. All right, yeah, I got you. Chi, fl- uh, wind and water, ebb and flow, motion. You and your surroundings. I'm with you. Okay, good. Because, um, you might be wondering how. When, like, what is the most, if Sean, if you could take one thing away from the feng shui experience, the one thing that you must always keep in mind when you're dealing with the chi around you, okay, is that you have to make sure that you are in the commanding position when you are in a room. That makes sense. So what I'm going to ask you, what do you believe is the commanding position? Take the room that you're in right now. It's perfect at ease. Eddie, you got to salute. <laughs> it's it's perfect because you, Sean, but I don't know if you know this or not. Both of us right now, we are sitting in the most important command position in our homes. I'm not in a walk-in closet. I know it may look like that. <laughs> yeah, but we yeah. are both sitting in our bedrooms. Yes. The room where the bed is is the most important. Uh, okay. It's the most important room in the house. Why is that? The reason is because it is the the it is from the bedroom um, where the chi is nourished. The chi is nourished in the bedroom. And in turn, the chi nurtures the adults. And the adults feed, they nurture the children. Is or this in a, this case, your pet. Is this a sex home. thing? Sean, well, uh, the, <laughs> the, the name of the chapter, by the way, uh, is is Maximizing Results in the Bedroom, which okay. I thought was a very funny title for the All chapter. All right. But, um, it is not a sex thing. Okay. But it does say a, a few important things Um that you want you want your bed first and foremost your your bed i see behind you yep is in almost almost the ideal position almost okay there's one thing that i'm noticing that well actually there are two things i'm noticing that Sean we would have to fix all right i'm going to feng shui your room all right i don't know how i feel about this what you have what you're doing right Sean your i see that your bed is against the wall that is opposite your door. Is no, it's no, the door is over here. So actually it's not. Okay. 
then in that case, it should be on that wall it, over there. All right, I I see now. I I um, I guess I just assumed in my mind's eye, I always saw you like getting up and exiting <laughs> from the door that was right next to your computer for some reason. Yeah. Um. So you would have to move your 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 bed. Ideally, should be on the wall that is opposite the door. Okay. That is because you never want when you're in the when you are in the command position, mm-hmm. you will never be taken by surprise. Like no one can sneak up behind you or startle you because that's bad for the chi, Sean. To be startled, bad for the chi to get startled, to to be in the not in the know at all times is bad for your chi. It's bad for your energy. Getting startled, things that are that because it, what it, it'll start a chain reaction where you'll get startled. You won't have a good night's sleep if you don't have a good night's sleep. You might you might not give a good presentation at work. If you don't give a good presentation at work, you're going to be feeling bad about yourself. You're going to want to go get a milkshake or a, a hot dog or something fat laden to try to cheer yourself up. And that's also bad for your chi because it's not made from nature. And there's it, it, it's a bad it's bad. So don't get startled. And you'll get a good night's sleep by putting the, your bed on the wall that's opposite the door. Okay, that makes sense. I buy that. Um, this is true for every room in the house. Any Anywhere you see a seating arrangement, what I want you to do is make sure it is on the opposite of any entrances. Matt, so I, that... I will not live my life in fear. <laughs> I'll turn my back to a door. I'm not I'm not going to sit there staring at every door wondering when I'll be startled. Well, you're not putting yourself in the command uh, position. When you're in the command position, I should have I, I should have like You know what's funny? I should have asked Katie or somebody to just like sneak up behind me <laughs> and spread, like oh well, cuz I'm not sitting in the command position right now either. My back is my door is right behind me. I'm in probably the worst position for my chi. I, I'm very concerned because I don't think I have a single s- better chair that all of them face away from a door. I'm at high risk. Oh no! You want you want it to fit. You want them to face away from the door. You don't want to have your back to the door. Well, but that's you don't what want I'm, to be or I'm saying. They face away. Where, I'm saying they face away from the door. That's right. You want that's you want good. you want to when you, when somebody enters the room, they want you want to be like like front and center. You never want a seating arrangement to be in the center of the room because then you can be approached by all sides. Oh no! That's my why, couch is in the middle of my room. You never want that because oh that way you can be you can be startled badly. It'd okay. Be bad chi. Gotcha. Um, the room that we lived in, our, our common area in Gartland, very bad chi. I knew because... that place had bad chi. You didn't need to know anything <laughs> about feng shui to know that place had bad chi. And and did you know, you know what's interesting is I, I when I when we we both did work for the Marist Archives, those housing units. What did they used to be back in the nineteen sixties? Before they were housing units, that's where they kept bees, Sean. That's where the, the Maris brothers were beekeeping, and they kept bees in the Gartland uh, vicinity, in that little neighborhood. So it's kind of ties the two things together here, beekeeping and feng shui. Wow. But anyway, um, it's like it was it was uh, it was meant to be. Uh, yes, the further you sleep away from the door, and the more of the room that you see while you're in bed the more you can feel in control of your environment and therefore in control of your life. Okay. Seeing the door to your bedroom symbolizes that you know what life is bringing you 
and you feel prepared to deal with whatever comes your way. You're in command and the results manifest themselves positively in many parts of your life. That was the section on um, the section on the bedroom. The, the bedroom is the most important, Sean. I want I want you to take a take a, a guess. What is the oh, by the way, there's a, a helpful diagram that shows you the ideal bed placement. Oh, look at that. Which yeah, one of these My uh, bedroom is my bedroom is C. Or the room I'm in now is C. This is, is my C? guest room, but Okay. It just went back to the cover for me. Oh. Okay. See, here's here's another diagram of uh, yeah. You, see, you never want that. You never want you never want things in the middle of the room. Oh, Bad okay. For Bad for your chi. Uh, take a guess, Sean. What is the second most the second most important room of the house? Is, the bedroom is most important. This is easy. This is easy. The bathroom. Why do you say the bathroom? Well, because when you're on the toilet, you never want to have your back to the door. You can be startled. <laughs> and it's bad for your chi. And it's bad for your chi. Um, well, well, I like your I like your argument. Uh, according to Master, what do we call him here? The Grandmaster. Grandmaster Professor Lin Yun um, and Feng Shui expert Daniels. Uh, the kitchen, Sean. The kitchen is the second oh. most important room in your house. Um, why is that? Because the chi flows from the bedroom. Where do you go when the chi, it flows from the bedroom, the second part that's, that's like nurturing your chi, nurturing your health. Then the kitchen is what feeds you and feeds your family in turn. So you have to respect your kitchen. Um, so how do you harness the uh, the kitchen of your house? The chapter's called Now You're Cooking. Oh, Jesus. Uh, what you want to do is you want to, yes, bad, here, the, the figure, in this figure, this is the most powerful cooking position that you could have. Oh, it's, it's like having, it's like cooking at a kitchen island. You want to be in the middle of the kitchen. Yes, the island. The island is is good for your chi. Um, ideally, kitchen uh, cooking should be done with the cook being able to see the kitchen doorway and anyone approaching while cooking without ever needing to turn around. Also, the energy from the main and secondary doors into the kitchen shouldn't flow directly towards the stove. Shouldn't flow directly toward the face of the stove. Um, and the stove should always be in balance with another kitchen feature, the refrigerator. Mm. This is because, um, this is because the natural flow is the food goes from the refrigerator to the stove. So you, you got to also you're you can you don't have to turn your back. You never have to turn your back on the doorway. If I've learned one thing, that is the most important principle of feng shui. Never turn your back on a doorway. I like to, I just like to imagine you going through like a normal day, just like as a total lunatic, never facing away from a door. <laughs> 
I developed some kind of phobia from this. Like, like honey, 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 just stand over here so I can turn around. <laughs> I got to be able to see the door. I need you to be my eyes and ears. <laughs> um, it does say if there is no possible way, like if you, if you own a home, like many homes, the stove will be opposite of a doorway. Uh, and if, if you have to do that and your back has to be turned, install wind chimes. The wind chimes will alert you when people are coming through and you won't be as startled. So that's that's a way to cure. The book, it, it talks a lot about curing. Cure, cures in this book essentially means a change in your environment, you causing a change in your environment that positively replaces a negative um, attribute, a negative, what they, what they, what they would call a uh, chi trap or a chi drain. Chi can be drained. It can be trapped. It can be what it, what redirected. It, what is Those this Ghostbusters? Three, what the? That's right. It is Ghostbusters, Sean. Those. That's the three fundamental ways that chi can be changed. Chi can never be destroyed, and chi can never be created. Mm, just chi like can only, only be redirected, mm. harnessed, reflected. Reflected is the fourth one. It can be reflected, redirected, harnessed, or what was the other one? drained can drain chi so um that that's the uh that's essentially it i mean that's really what feng shui is all about it's about changing your okay. environment to change your life what, what uh any questions for me here here's some living room diagrams you could peruse yeah which one of those do you think would be an optimal feng shui well, it's not it's not C. The back of the couch is to the door. That's right. That's the that's like the is worst. this like a that's quiz? Like a yeah, this is the quiz. I mean, I Matt, I want to I want to start with you on this because you're you're a pretty logical guy. You're a smart guy. You, do you, you you buy all this? Are 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 you are you a believer in the feng shui? No, I'm not, Sean. Okay, I'm not at all. I think I think this is <laughs> this is. This is um I don't want to I don't want to sound insulting to Please people do. Maybe, who perhaps do genuinely appreciate or or value this method and personally I can't I'm not speaking from experience at all because I haven't had the chance to implement it if your next question would would be to me um what, is this something you would try mm -hmm. yeah I would I'd give it a shot I would rearrange It's low stakes I, I it's exactly. There's low risk. Unlike beekeeping, it's low stakes. I'll be stakes. honest. I'm probably more likely to participate in feng shui than I ever am to become a beekeeper. Do I think it's going to really profoundly change my life? Absolutely not. Not even, not at all. Not even one bit. If anything, it might inconvenience me because things might not be the way that, that, um, that, uh, they were before. And I'm not a guy who, who really, gets used to change very quickly um, when, it, when it has to do with my home and stuff. But, I mean, well, we'll see. I, I'd give it a shot. Like you said, it's low stakes. But also, um, I would worry about a placebo effect, though, where it's like just because you went through the effort of rearranging the room, you're going to think it's working. I guess there's no way to prove right. if it's working. Right. You would get that placebo effect of like, oh, I do feel better right. because the book said that I should. Um, but yeah, again, I, I don't know anything about interior decorating at all. 
So if this could be, you know, if there's one thing I can take away from this book, it's that if I just rearrange all my furniture so that my back is never facing a door, um, I'll feel better. Okay. I I, I didn't have any other plan for how I'm going (laughs) to arrange furniture in my future home. So, yeah. It also says, um, look for homes that are in between mountains. Not the mountain should never face your door, but if you have a mountain to the back of your home, that's good. But then it's gonna sneak up on my home. I guess I guess that's so like yeah, giants or dragons will never sneak up on the back of your home. The mountain would, but the mountain's fine. You have to worry about the cheetah. Trust mountains, okay. Yes. You never want the cheetah to be going. I mean uh, Matt, can I tell you what I think of this? What do you think of this, Sean? I feel about feng shui the same way I feel about religion in general. Stay with me here. I'm going to try you. not to insult anybody. But um, in religion, I'm a big fan of the underlying messages. Be good to your neighbor. Be a good person. Think You know, that kind of general stuff. Give, give to the needy. That sort of stuff. I think that's good. It's when you start dropping the, the magical, mystical hokum pokum on top that really drives me crazy. And so as you're explaining the concepts of feng shui, as someone with, frankly, several people's worth of anxiety, and you're saying things like, be aware of the room you're in and be in command of that room. Know where the entrances and exits are and keep an eye on them. I'm like, I do that normally to stay sane. Like, those are good ideas. I, I As soon as you were saying them, I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. Or even like, you take food from the fridge and you take it to the stove. And I'm like... That makes a lot of sense. But then when you're like, it's wind and it's water and it ebbs and it flows. And I'm like, <laughs> that's insane. No, I, I, as you said at the beginning, at the very beginning to me, you said, Sean, have you ever walked into a room and it felt weird to you? No, that's not a thing. That That's that's no, there's no there's no energy in rooms, I don't think. But the underlying principles of this to me generally make sense as you're like, oh, yeah, you know what? Your bed, if your bed is near the door you're you're and you can't see it, you're going to be thinking about it. And you're not going to be, you know, you want to have the most, like, all that makes a ton of sense to me. I think that's totally spot on. I just don't get the chi and the the bullshit mysticism part of it. So that that actually, um, your, your take on the feng shui experience, I think you would like the second book that I read actually right after this. It was, rec- Amazon recommended it to me, like, it was like, or Kindle um, it was like, oh, you bought this. I think mm-hmm. you'd probably like this. Sure. Uh, and this book is called uh, Move Your Stuff, Change Your Life. Okay. By Karen Rauch Carter. And this is much more of, I, I think, what you're talking about. This is like the applicable part yep. of the the for, the, the, the for dummies. Like it, it doesn't really talk so much about the – get the chi flowing and chi draining and chi redirecting. It's more like um, if you uh, – if you, um, I'll, I'll read a little bit from the intro. It says, if you want to create a Sunday that would put Jenny Craig into a spin, you first need some tools, bowl, spoon, Ben and Jerry's chunky monkey ice cream, and plenty of calorie-laden toppings. If you want to create a life worth living, you also need some tools, first and foremost of which is a living environment, an idea of what you want out of life, good intentions, and an, and an understanding of the ancient Chinese secrets of feng shui. Did, so, did you say the author's name was Karen? 
Her name is Karen Rouch Carter. That, that was the most Karen paragraph I've ever heard in my life. Like, yes. that sounds like something written by a Karen. And it was. Absolutely. Yeah, that was a very Karen Karen thing. Um, I, I thought it reminded me of like a blog post that I wrote. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, like like those 18 paragraph ones before you get to a recipe. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, I hate those. But uh, anyway, they um, the this this book is more practical. Like, see, th this is just an example of one of the one of the diagrams. Like, you can rearrange the interior of your home to be like this. Yep. To to kind of like depending on what you want to what emphasize, you value. Yeah. What you value most now. I thought it was kind of cool. Um, I know that you you don't play a whole lot of games. Like you're not a big like video gamer. You play no. maybe the occasional. But um, have you ever played the game Animal Crossing? Uh, I've seen it on the internet. I have not actually played it. So the the new Animal Crossing that just happened to that come out. That everyone's going nuts about. That everyone's going nuts about. It's, it's the, the game to game while you're in quarantine. Uh, it actually uses fundamentals from feng shui, uh, depending on how, if I understand it, I, I did a little research before I came on here, but, um, the whole concept of the game is obtaining like things like kind of like knickknacks and things for your home. Mm -hmm. And you get them by doing different tasks or different jobs for people. You can buy them using the in-game currency. I mean, that's that basically real life you're describing. Yeah. And, and, and you, you kind of make <laughs> virtual friends. Yeah, basically. Okay. Uh, but the, uh, I guess the things you obtain here, you can like put them in your, in your animal crossing home and they'll give you different bonuses based on the room you put them in and where you put them in. And they actually, they actually listen to, um, or abide by certain feng shui, uh, rules mm -hmm. in the game. Oh, neat. So I, I thought that was. That was kind of cool. Uh, I mean, without I, ever telling you, this. like, I don't think it ever, it ever, the game ever comes out and says, like, this is, uh, this is, you know, wh what you have to do. Like, but, but if you do it, you just, you just happen to get those kind of bonuses here. I mean, to be honest, I don't think I could name a second, um, uh, practice for, um, organizing an environment that wasn't feng shui you know what i mean like what's feng shui's competitor uh just yeah, like what it, put crap I, in random places <laughs> i don't know if it has a comp it's more of like it's more of a strategy yeah what what is the anti i don't know if there's like an anti no, but, but like but like no i'm not into feng shui i'm into blank like what's now, what would be funny is I don't know the words for it but we we said early on that like feng is wind and shui is water so the opposite would be like earth and metal or metal and earth, <laughs> like if, if whatever that is in Chinese, I guess. Always turn your back to the door. Oh, yeah. Always keep your back in the door because when you're startled, it actually jump starts your chi and gets you like awake. And Be very unaware of your surroundings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Um, I guess the opposite. Yeah. The opposite of feng shui is like chaos, basically. Yeah. It's just like just doing what you want. Uh, hey, man. What works? In Animal Crossing, I guess the, the color of the item – which also I remember reading in the book too, is that uh, red is always linked to your prosperity. So red items. Very Chinese. Yeah. Yes. Red items are. And now that's the part of feng shui where I'm even more like, okay, 
Like it's very that's very much a cultural construct, very Chinese. Like red is a symbol of fortune in Chinese in Chinese culture. Um whereas green is a symbol of nature uh and and luck mm-hmm. actually, like random chance or luck. So if you want to increase your luck, I guess in the game, you want to have more green items in one part of the house um and 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 so on. So that's uh we got to get you playing where you can start playing Animal Crossing. You have a Switch? I've thought about it. I do have a Switch. Um, I got to, I got to get, I actually just, I just got an Xbox. One. Whoa. Look just at got you. an Xbox one. Um, the price dropped like crazily, crazily, I guess, because of the announcement. So I felt like now was the time to buy the announcement of the next generation. Like they're right. coming out with another Xbox. So just got that. And I've been kind of playing with that during my quarantine. But, um, I mean, they, they, they go on to talk about how every room in the house is unique and there are different principles, but that's just the general, if you were to take like a summary of this, no, that was great. Back to the door and, uh, <laughs> don't be startled. Cause it messes up your chi. If and it all starts in the bedroom. Up, and it all starts in the bedroom. That's where the magic happens. That's awesome. Great, Matt. I think this was a the, this uh, four dummies challenge was a was a rousing success. Yeah, I think so. I agree with you. I I would have probably never read a feng shui book otherwise, uh, uh, except for this challenge. And I'm I'm glad that we I, did it. I still think we missed out that you didn't read Menopause for Dummies, but uh, you know, I I think we never uh, got you to do business in India. Well, I'm thinking maybe next year we do another round of this. Pick two new books. Okay. I'm definitely game. Teach the folks of America. Um, and Matt, that, that concludes March Madness. We it did does. it. We Congratulations. Did it. We, I, we Matt, survived March Madness and we survived actual March Madness uh, in, in in all, all different shapes and forms. I, so. I think we did more than survive. I think we thrived. I think you did a fantastic job. Uh, you've really, uh, you've really, uh, set a high bar and I think it was a phenomenal success. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I was, uh, it was fun to do it. Uh, I give you a lot of credit for doing that host bit every week. If anything, I appreciate that more now because oh, it's not easy. It's not easy to I make it look come up easy. With things on the cuff. No, you no, you did a fine job. I think it's fun to mix it up once in a while. So I'm, ha- I'm happy to take it back, but you did a good job. Thank you. So I will I will relinquish the hosting duties back. To, oh, uh, Matt, what what a treat this month has been. And, and I got to tell you, Matt, we have so much great stuff coming up on the show. I can't tell anyone any of it because we haven't planned it. But I'm telling you, it's going to be great. Um, and you're going to want to stay tuned right here to Up for Debate. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts, of course, Overcast, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, really anywhere you get uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We're all in those places. Um, our website's upfordebate.tv. You can go there and get all the past episodes as well. Check them out there. And, of course, you can get in contact with us at TV on Twitter or email us TV at gmail.com. Um, what an absolute treat. We're, we're going to be back next week uh, with some more thrilling Up for Debate action. Uh and uh, a, a, a more balanced uh, co-host month uh, coming up here in April. A lot, a lot of great stuff happening. But until then, on behalf of Matt, I'm Sean. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next time for another Up for Debate. One shining
This has been a Coffee and Beer production, executive produced by Matt Mariani and Sean Jennings. To learn more, visit coffeeandbeer.tv.